Loving other people starts with loving ourselves and accepting ourselves. And I know many of you have struggled with this. And I draw upon your strength and your support in ways that you will never know. And I am here today because I am gay. The center of the kite falling upward, this group of people who are gay suddenly appear in his pub. So that's one of the most delightful things I think about the play. No further questions. Welcome to This Way Out, the international LGBTQ radio magazine. I'm Greg Gordon. Hooty rebels sentenced 13 to death for queer sex, recalling Elliot Page's first courageous coming out speech, and Ray Bradbury illustrated gay men in his little-known Irish play, Falling Upward. Your stories and more this week, now that you found This Way Out. I'm Tanya Kane Perry. And I'm Daniel Wasias. With News Wrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBTQ communities around the world for the week ending February 10th, 2024. Houthi rebels in Yemen have sentenced 13 people to death for engaging in same gender sex. A court in the Shia Islamic controlled province of Ahib announced the verdicts on February 4th, according to Agence France Presse. It reports that close to 40 other people have been arrested on similar charges in Hib. The Iran-backed Houthis have been in a prolonged civil war with the government of Yemen, which is propped up by a regional group led by Saudi Arabia. Since Iran-backed Hamas brutally attacked southern Israel from Gaza on October 7th, the Houthis have targeted commercial ships in the Red Sea. The U.S. and U.K. have responded with numerous airstrikes on suspected Houthi strongholds. It's not clear when the 13 condemned homosexuals might be executed. They can all appeal. The Euro-Mediterranean Human Rights Monitor reported in 2022 that Houthi courts have sentenced 350 people to death since rebels overran the capital of Sana'a in 2014. However, there had only been 11 actual executions. Extrajudicial executions by means of stoning, hanging, shooting, and beheading are not uncommon. Human Rights Watch Yemen researcher Niku Jafarnia told Agence France Presse, the Houthis are ramping up their abuses at home while the world is busy watching their attacks in the Red Sea. If they really cared about the human rights they purport to be standing up for in Palestine, they wouldn't be flogging and stoning Yemenis to death. Britain's parliament held hearings on the challenges of transgender and non-binary school students for the first time featuring testimony exclusively by transgender people. MPs Kate Osborne and Carolyn Noakes hosted the February 6 panel of trans students, teachers, and legal experts. They schooled lawmakers on practical solutions to advance the safety of gender-diverse students on campus. Several young witnesses described harrowing personal experiences of harassment and abuse meted out by both fellow students and even school officials. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak's Tory government is proposing new guidelines for public schools and colleges supposedly aimed at protecting trans, non-binary, and gender-fluid students. If that's the goal, critics say the draft guidelines fall woefully short. 
That prompted the advocacy group Trans Plus Solidarity Alliance to organize the hearings. Calling transgender identity an ideology, the guidelines allow teachers and other school officials to refuse a trans student's request to recognize a name change or preferred pronouns. School officials under the SUNOC guidelines could also keep trans students from using the appropriate sex-segregated campus facilities, such as bathrooms or changing rooms. The parliamentary panel concluded that many in the LGBTQIA community and the education sector fear that the draft guidelines will make supporting trans and gender-questioning children to thrive and learn at school all but impossible. The Trans Plus Solidarity Alliance's director, Jude Guayatamachi, applauded the all-trans panel. They said, It's time for trans people to be part of the conversation and for our voices to be heard instead of being ignored, talked over, and spoken for. LGBTQ pride returned to the streets of Mumbai, India, on February 3rd. A four-year hiatus that began with the COVID pandemic was extended due to problems trying to secure proper government permits. Thousands marched in the colorful processions through the state capital of Maharashtra or cheered along the route. The reborn pride celebration was spearheaded by a new organizing group, the Mumbai Queer Collective. Eighteen events in January led up to the march itself, including the annual LGBTQ flash mob on Carter Road, athletic competitions at the Q Games on Juhu Beach, a queer history walk guided by three venerable local activists, and the Gulabi Mela, a marketplace for young queer artists and entrepreneurs. Two after-parties followed the Pride Parade finale. In the organizers' words, with the Pride March, we not only want to demand our rights to exist and have equal rights as others, but we also want to claim the streets and be visible, show people we exist and we are in huge numbers and we demand space within the city and all its institutions. Will the U.S. state of Oklahoma ban the pride that Mumbai has embraced? State Republican lawmakers are pushing a bill to eliminate any recognition of LGBTQ pride or support for such celebrations. Representative Kevin West is behind what he calls the Patriotism Not Pride Act. House Bill 3217 would forbid state agencies from using government resources to endorse or otherwise support LGBTQ pride celebrations. It even bans the display of any flag that represents sexual orientation or gender identity on state properties. West told NBC News he's sponsoring the measure, as he put it, because Oklahoma taxpayer dollars should not be used to promote or recognize activities that are not in line with the values of most Oklahomans. If HB 3217 passes both Republican-majority legislative chambers and is signed by Republican Governor Kevin Stitt, Democrats and rights groups believe it will be declared an unconstitutional violation of First Amendment free speech rights. Patrons at several of Seattle, Washington's popular queer night spots said they felt like they were in a time warp, transported to New York City's Stonewall Inn in 1969. In late January, the State Liquor and Cannabis Board raided local queer bars with unannounced, shockingly invasive inspections. The law enforcement officials on the scene claimed to have witnessed lewd conduct based on antiquated laws for establishment that serve liquor. 
Flashbulbs popped in the faces of stunned patrons being photographed at Neighbors, the Cuff Complex, the Lumberyard, and the Seattle Eagle. Some male customers at the Eagle, wearing jock straps and a bartender at the Cuff Complex exposing his nipple, were the only violations cited. The community's outrage prompted the liquor board to renounce the raids and order the temporary suspension of further lewd conduct inspections. Meanwhile, out Washington State Senate Majority Floor Leader Jamie Pedersen says that he and fellow Democrats are working on legislation to fully repeal the lewd conduct regulations. A group of queer night spot owners called the government's response a huge victory for queer people, queer spaces, and queer self-expression. Finally, the city of Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and the state of South Dakota each paid the price for blatant bias this week. Officials in Murfreesboro agreed to settle a lawsuit filed by the Tennessee Equality Project and the ACLU of Tennessee. The suit challenged a local ordinance that banned pride events and drag shows as sexual conduct and public behaviors, materials, or events that are patently offensive to the adult community. The ordinance enacted last June was also cited to justify the removal of queer-supportive books from school classrooms and public libraries. A federal judge had already temporarily enjoined the city from enforcing the ordinance while its legality was being tested in court. Murfreesboro officials agreed to pay $500,000 this week to settle the lawsuit and quit while they were behind. Meanwhile, South Dakota officials agreed to settle a discrimination lawsuit this week with a $300,000 payout and a formal apology. The Sioux Falls-based advocacy group, the Transformation Project, had sued the State Department of Health for abruptly ending its contract in December 2022 for $136,000 in federal funds to hire Jack Fonder to be its community health worker slash project coordinator. The governor's chief of staff, Ian Fury, told right-wing media outlet The Daily Signal, South Dakota does not support this organization's efforts and state government should not be participating in them. In addition to the $300,000 monetary settlement, South Dakota Department of Health Secretary Melissa Magistrate was forced to formally apologize to Transformation Project Executive Director Susan Williams and to community health care worker Fonder. Williams responded, To put it simply, the government canceled our contract because of the very population we serve, the transgender community. Fonder put out a statement that read in part, I assumed the role of community health care worker with the intention of providing trans people in our community with the resources they require to succeed in this state, little realizing that doing so would result in my own outing as a trans man for standing up for what is right. We promise to keep up the battle for transgender rights in South Dakota and to make sure they have access to the resources they require. That's News Wrap, global queer news with attitude for the week ending February 10th, 2024. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap is written by Greg Gordon, edited by Lucia Chappell, Produced by Brian DeShazer and brought to you by you. Thank you.
help keep us in ears around the world at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast, and much more. For This Way Out, I'm Daniel Vasillas. Stay healthy. And I'm Tanya Kane perry Stay safe. Our listeners support This Way Out in many ways. By subscribing to our e-newsletter. Email us at info at thiswayout.org. And through your financial contributions to our program. More information about how you can give is online at thiswayout.org. Thank you. The gay people came to me and told me what they wanted to say. I listened to them and I put it down. So I didn't write the play. The gay people wrote the play. Behind the Scenes with Ray Bradbury, later in the program. Even well into the 21st century, there's no easy way for a young person to navigate the landscape of sexual orientation and gender identity. Elliot Page spoke movingly about those challenges when the actor-writer-producer came out for the first time at the Human Rights Campaign's Time to Thrive Youth Conference in February 2014. It is such an honor to be here at the inaugural Time to Thrive Conference but it's a little weird too. Here I am in this room because of an organization whose work that I deeply, deeply admire. And I'm surrounded by people who make it their life's work to make other people's lives better, profoundly better. Some of you teach young people. Some of you help young people heal and to find their voice. Some of you listen. Some of you take action. Some of you are young people yourselves, in which case it's even weirder for a person like me to be speaking to you. Here I am, an actress, representing, at least in some sense, an industry that places crushing standards on all of us. And not just young people, everyone. Standards of beauty, of a good life, of success. Standards that, I hate to admit, have affected me. You have ideas planted in your head, thoughts you never had before, that tell you how you have to act, how you have to dress, and who you have to be. And I have been trying to push back, to be authentic, and to follow my heart, but it can be hard. (laughs) And I know that there are people in this room who go to school every day and get treated like shit for no reason or you go home and you feel like you can't tell your parents the whole truth about yourself. And beyond putting yourself in one box or another, you worry about the future, about college, or work, or even your physical safety. And trying to create that mental picture of your life, of what on earth is gonna happen to you, can crush you a little bit every day. And it is toxic, and painful, and deeply unfair. Yet there is courage all around us. The football hero, Michael Sam. The actress, Laverne Cox. The musicians, Tegan and Sarah Quinn. The family that supports their daughter or son who has come out. And there is courage in this room, all of you. 
And I'm inspired to be in this room because every single one of you is here for the same reason. You're here because you've adopted as a core motivation the simple fact that this world would be a whole lot better if we just made an effort to be less horrible to one another. If we took just five minutes to recognize each other's beauty instead of attacking each other for our differences, it's really an easier and better way to live. And ultimately, it saves lives. Then again, it can be the hardest thing because loving other people starts with loving ourselves and accepting ourselves. And I know many of you have struggled with this. And I draw upon your strength and your support in ways that you will never know. And I am here today because I am gay. And because... <laughs> And because maybe I can make a difference to help others have an easier and more hopeful time. Regardless, for me, I feel a personal obligation and a social responsibility. I also do it selfishly because I'm tired of hiding and I'm tired of lying by omission. I suffered for years because I was scared to be out. My spirit suffered, my mental health suffered, and my relationship suffered. And I'm standing here today with all of you on the other side of that pain. And I am young, yes. <laughs> but what I have learned is that love, the beauty of it, the joy of it, and yes, even the pain of it, is the most incredible gift to give and to receive as a human being. And we deserve to experience love fully, equally, without shame and without compromise. There are too many kids out there suffering from bullying, rejection, or simply being mistreated because of who they are. Too many dropouts, too much abuse, too many homeless, too many suicides. You can change that and you are changing it. But you never needed me to tell you that. And that's why this was a little bit weird. <laughs> the only thing that I can really say is what I'm building up to for the past five minutes. Thank you. Thank you for inspiring me. Thank you for giving me hope. And please keep changing the world for people like me. Well, Award-winning transgender actor Elliot Page spoke at the Human Rights Campaign's 2014 Time to Thrive conference. 
His latest film is called Close to You. The story of a trans man returning to his hometown premieres in March in the UK and Europe at BFI Flair, the London LGBTQI Plus Film Festival. It's set for U.S. release later this year. Page's memoir is entitled Page Boy. Hi, this is Terence Stamp, Bernadette, in The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, on This Way Out. Ray Bradbury is one of the best-known science fiction writers of all time. But people who grew up on Fahrenheit 451, The Illustrated Man, and The Martian Chronicles are often unaware of the other genres he took on. It was not until 1988 that Bradbury's 1954 Irish play, Falling Upward, had its world premiere in Los Angeles. More than 25 years later, the play's revival showed This Way Out's Chris Wilson that something queer this way had come. Oh, the summertime, it's coming And the leaves are sweetly blooming And the wild mountain time Blows around the blooming heather I arrived in Ireland knowing nothing about Ireland. It's 55 years ago now. And John Houston brought me there to write the screenplay of Moby Dick. It was quite an adventure. Yeah. And when I got home from Ireland, about three months, a voice spoke in my head, and a voice said, Ray, darling. And I said to that voice, who is it? And the voice said, why, it's Mick, your cab driver, that drove you from Dublin to Kilcack and back 80 or 90 times. Do you remember that, Ray? I said, yes. And the voice said, would you mind putting it down? So I began to write my Irish plays. I put them all together into Falling Upward, and it's my greatest Irish play so far. In those days, the pub was the center of the community, and Bradbury wasted no time in immersing himself in the local culture. I went to Heber Finn's pub in Kilcock quite a few times, and I used Heber Finn's name in this play falling upward, and his pub is at the center of the play. I knew that pub very well, and I knew all the people, and a lot of the names that appear in my play were the names of people that were in that pub 55 years ago. And during the first act of falling upward, Heber Finn's is indeed a very traditional Irish pub, filled with the laughter, singing, and camaraderie they can only develop after years, if not generations. I'm always thinking how to gain my love's company. Though the night be dark as dungeons, not a star to be seen above. But the second act brings a surprise. Visitors who at first appear to have nothing in common with the locals. Well, I talked to an Irish priest in a pub one night and we somehow brought up the subject of gay people. And I told the Irish priest, I'm very lucky. A gay man has been at the center of my life. 
Did you apply to the National Health Insurance for a hearing aid? Yes, I did. Did you get it? No, not yet. However, you state that you walked past a door which is four inches of solid oak. You heard voices, and you are willing to swear that you could distinguish the voice of the prisoner, Leonard Vaux. Oh, <laughs> No further questions. Charles Lawton, one of the greatest actors ever on the screen, became my friend and got me to writing a stage adaptation of Fahrenheit 451. So for Charles Lawton, I began to write for the theater as well as Bernard Shaw. But Charles Lawton never mentioned the fact that he was gay, but I knew it, and at the center of my life was the curiosity about gay people and how they functioned and where they went and what they did. So at the center of the play Falling Upward, this group of people were gay following somewhere around the world suddenly appear in the center of the play. So that's one of the most delightful things I think about the play. At first, the pub patrons react as though they're caught in an entirely different Bradbury story, confronted with aliens from another planet. However, as this comedic fable progresses, there's a subtle shift in perspective, and when the visitors ultimately leave, a little bit of summer is left behind. We asked Mr. Bradbury if he intended to make a statement with the story of Falling Upward. Nothing in my life and writing is intentional. I do not write my stories. I do not write my plays. My characters write them. So there's no intent. I don't ask my characters, why are you telling me this? I just listen to them. So the gay people came to me and told me what they wanted to say. I listened to them and I put it down. So I didn't write the play, the gay people wrote the play. Heber Finn told me exactly what he wanted to say about the world, about women, about priests, and I listened to him, so he wrote the play too. There's no message, I don't believe in messages. I wrote Fahrenheit 451 about not burning books. There's a message there. But I didn't think of the message. It came to me from the fire chief. So all my characters tell me what they want to hear. It's not what I want to hear. And the gay people told me, here we are, watch us dance, watch us sing, watch us walk. So I watched it very simple. And they ended up in Falling Upward. That's right. For This Way Out, this is Chris Wilson. Special thanks not only to my co-producer, Christopher David Trentum, and Ken O'Malley, whose music you've been hearing, but to Mr. Ray Bradbury, whose characters invite us all to Heber Finn's Pub, where laughter is abundant and visitors are welcome.
Thanks for finding This Way Out, brought to you by the nonprofit Overnight Productions. News Wrap was reported this week by Tanya K. Perry and Daniel Hoistius and produced by Brian DeShazer. Chris Wilson was our archival correspondent, with thanks to Christopher David Trenton. Gary Wright, Edina Menzel, and Ken O'Malley performed some of the music you heard, and Kim Wilson composed and performed our theme music. This way, I thank John Dyer the Fifth of Winston, Oregon, and Richard Merck and Brad Payton of Silicon Valley. Listener donors make this program possible. Ask us about how you can join them. Look for This Way Out Radio on social media, email us at info at thiswayout.org, or write to us at P.O. Box 1065, Los Angeles, California, 90078, USA. For associate producer Lucia Chappell and all of us at This Way Out, I'm Greg Gordon. Thanks for listening online at thiswayout.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And on KUCR, Riverside, California, WCRS, Columbus, Ohio, HCCC, Alice Springs, Australia, Northern Territory, and a wide array of community terrestrial and internet radio stations around the world, including this one. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay tuned.